holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ozil, marca Mesut Ozil Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal gol, marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal pim pam pum This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good evening to you. Good evening to you. How are you doing today? I'm all right. It's Sunday evening. My neighbour is out the back having a barbecue, so my window is open because it's a beautiful evening, and all I'm smelling is onions and meat coming through the window, and I'm starving now. Starving. Mm. The, the magpies will have got whiff of that. I wonder how they'll respond. Well, I was going to open the show with a magpie fact for you. This is a very special, very modern, very recent, very up-to-date magpie fact. Go on. They beat Tottenham 1-0. I know, so I heard. I was on stage at the time. It sounds like the ideal kind of Tottenham defeat. Uh, not only did they lose, but they were sort of upset by some sort of VAR ruling as well. Am I oh, right about that? really? I don't know. I didn't watch it. I try not to watch Tottenham as a matter of course, you know? Mm. Yeah, well, it seems here that uh, uh, Harry Kane fell and cells. Who would have imagined Harry Kane would tumble under a challenge? Yeah. Uh, but Mike Dean ruled it not a penalty and that decision was backed up after a, a check from from the video assistant from the VAR. So they thought they might get a reprieve from the penalty spot. Not so. But so what, delightful what, news. Was it actually a penalty though? That would be the best thing. That if it was actually a stone cold nailed on penalty and both Mike Dean and VAR fucked them. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Well, the thing is, if it's Harry Kane who went down, I think we can probably assume it probably wasn't a penalty. Yes, that's love, true. Love, lovely either way, to be honest, to to Newcastle. Um, and th- many thanks. They've, they've served us well in the early part of the season, managing to lose to us and beat Spurs. Yes, and it's been a good weekend of results uh, elsewhere. Obviously, Manchester United beaten by Crystal Palace, so that's good for us. Um, mm. I mean, our result wasn't, wasn't good, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, some of the other results kind of went our way this weekend. And it's to, you know, in fairness, the result that we were on the other end of was not necessarily unexpected either, so... No, that's true. And listen, uh, I think, you know, we're Arsenal fans. We must delight in every poor Spurs result, kind of irrespective of what we do ourselves. Um, by the way, can I tell you a quick anecdote from my time up in Edinburgh? Before yes, we get please. Into the game? Please. So I went to see a show by a comedian called Ed MacArthur. It was an excellent show. And Ed is a, an Arsenal fan and listener to the podcast, actually. Hello, so Ed. Sort of befriended. Hello, Ed. Congratulations on a great show. But in the audience of that show uh, was none other than <gasps> of house oh. fame. Oh, hang on, hang on. It cut out there. Tell me who it was. Oh, oh right. OK. I hope it's not going to disappoint. It was Hugh Laurie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I was pretty impressed by that. You know, Hugh Laurie's a pretty big, uh, pretty big star. He is. And yeah. I know... 
I noticed at the end of the show, which was a fantastic show, huge audience members up on their feet, standing ovation. And um, I saw Ed that night and I said to him, you had Hugh Laurie in your audience? And he said, yeah, I kind of know him a bit. And it turns out he's friends with his son or something like that. Right. And he said, I'm, I'm glad you came today. It was a really big show for me because I had uh, a few mates you, you were in. And also I had my friend in who, I mean, you wouldn't know, but he sort of does like a lot of football stuff. And Hugh Laurie was like, well, what do you mean? Who was it? And he said, oh, it's this guy. He's on this podcast. His name, he's sort of, he's called Gunnerblog. And Hugh Laurie said, you had Gunnerblog in your audience. What? I was like, what? And basically it turns out that Hugh Laurie has been doing a job filming in the summer where he has been driven to and from set by a massive Arsenal fan who... basically puts our podcast on in the car. <laughs> and so <laughs> sort of by force, Hugh Laurie has become familiar with our podcast uh, and has an awareness of who Arsblog is, who Gunnerblog is. Despite not really being an Arsenal fan and not having a massive amount of interest in it, he has been listening to the show. Oh, so wow. if he's listening to this, hello, Hugh. Hello, Hugh Laurie. Wow, there is a thing. Wow, a small mm. world, isn't it? It's really weird the way stuff like that happens. I, I really know. like it. Really- That's cool. And after that, happy note, our 3-1 defeat at Anfield. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get into the shit. Yeah, let's do it. So, an Arsenal defeat at Anfield. Not an unexpected result, a result that we've got used to a bit right down the years because it's been 2012 since we won there. It's not been a particularly happy hunting ground. But an interesting game in that it has caused something of a a divergence of opinion uh, among fans, Mm. not least, I guess, between (laughs) between me and you. Well, you know, in the sense that I tweeted towards the end of the game, uh, Gary Neville was going on with some absolute horror shit in my opinion and I was like what the fuck is Gary Neville going on about and you went well I I kind of mostly agree with what he was saying um <laughs> so that that speaks to yeah. a, a definite difference of opinion about w- what we saw or what we perceived from that performance yeah and I think as well like I don't think that's just you and me I think you know the bits of reading I've done and on my timeline and Twitter and forums and message boards and chatting to other fans, it does seem like there is this sort of dichotomy, this split in terms of how people perceive that performance. And it does, it essentially seems to be, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but on the one hand, the idea that it was sort of quite a sort of limp uh, surrender, a bit of a sort of small team mentality, I think maybe some people describe it as. And then on the other hand, uh, people who were like, well, you know, I thought there was some sort of... uh, tactical logic to what Arsenal did and that they weren't that far from pulling something off and there were some signs for encouragement. Right. And it does seem like there are people very firmly on either side of that divide. And it is really interesting, consequently, yeah. because that's quite unusual that that happens in the game. There's normally a bit more mm. of a consensus. Can I just say, for the record, before we get into this, can I say that uh, I did not expect us to win. I didn't expect mm. us to win the game. If we got a draw out of it, I would have been absolutely delighted. I'm Mm. not fuming. I'm not furious. I'm not calling for anyone to be sacked or hung or drawn or quartered. Uh, I'm not losing my shit. I'm not throwing my toys out of the pram. I just could not see the positives from the performance that Gary Neville seemed to see when he was talking about us 
in that patronizing way late on that you didn't think was obviously that patronizing? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 I think what he said that I was referring to is when he said, when the Arsenal scored, Torreira scored late on, I think he said mm. something like, that's a big goal for Arsenal, which in, yeah. the, in the context is a strange thing to say because it's a consolation, ultimately. Yes. But the reason that I felt there was some merit in it was simply that I felt that 3-0 was a very harsh reflection of the way that game had gone. Um, I, I understand that Liverpool had huge dominance over possession and shots and things like that, but I, I did think there was some intelligence to what Arsenal were attempting to do. And I think that that goal for me, I was like, it's uh, it narrows the scoreline and it indicates some sort of degree some a small degree of reward for what was not, in my opinion, a diabolical sure. performance. I, I think he was talking about it from a from the point of view of character. That you know, we kept going to the end. Plucky little Arsenal. They you know they never gave up. Look at them. They're they're like a little scrappy terrier, just fighting for a little mm. bit from the table. And eventually, you know, he gets thrown a morsel. I thought that's the way that he went at it, and that's the way I certainly took that comment. Which is why I thought it was a load of old bollocks. To be perfectly honest, I thought it was a consolation goal against a team that knew they'd had the best of us for like 80, 75, 80 minutes. They sat back. If you were to take something from that goal for me, it's the fact that it came A, with Torreira on the pitch, which I think, you know, Mm -hmm. I I wasn't talking about Torreira pregame and I'll hold my hands up and absolutely say I was not talking about Torreira um, being in the starting lineup pregame based on the assumption that he wasn't quite fully match fit yet. That's the reason why. But I think when he came on, he showed that he needs to be starting games for us now. So that's a, that's what I take away from, from his performance mm-hmm. when he came on as a substitute. But I think if you want to take, um, to call it a big, big goal from an Arsenal perspective, it's got nothing to do with character for me. It's, you know, okay, of course you, of course you don't give up. No, no team should give up. You know, you got to work hard, but those things aren't things that we should we should um, just applaud because they happen. They should be a matter of course. So the way I look at it, if you want to take that as a big, big goal for Arsenal, it's a big, big goal because when we had Lacazette, Aubameyang, Pepe on the pitch, we gave Liverpool more to think about from a defensive point of view. So we were able to push them back. And I know it, you know, it, it, it's to do with the fact that the game was won and they were happy enough to sit back. You know, we have to look at it in that context. But yeah. if there's something to take from it, it's that we had that front three on, we had Torreira on, and all of a sudden Liverpool had a, a bit more to think about. Maybe. I mean, I suppose the, the, the fundamental um, difference is that I don't think if we'd lined up with uh, Lacazette, Aubameyang and Pepe, you know, in a four-two-three-one, I don't think we wouldn't have been battered by Liverpool. Do you um, do you not think that we would have had more to offer from an attacking point of view? That there wouldn't have been this incredible um, gap and disconnection between our packed midfield, which was pulled from uh, pillar to post by by Liverpool's um, fullbacks. Um, we we would perhaps have had a, a little more cohesion to our play, a little more possession, which in turn might have made Liverpool a bit less dangerous. Oh, I lost you at the end of that, Andrew. Sorry. Basically, what I said was that if we'd had um, more of an attacking threat, our, our team might have been more cohesive and therefore Liverpool might have had more to think about. 
maybe. But I mean, what I would say is we had two phenomenal chances to score in the first half okay. that we did not take. Sure, uh, absolutely. Uh, did- and I think that... So for me, I looked at it and what was what was everyone talking about Liverpool coming into this game in terms of the weakness? Everyone that I saw, everyone I listened to was saying their trouble is they've got a, a high line and they can be exposed in the channels between the fullback and the centre-half. And I thought starting a front two of Aubameyang and Pepe as kind of split strikers who could run into that space and, uh, and you know, cr- offer a real threat there was a interesting, bold, and I have to say, for me, effective tactical move. Like oh, it did, okay. it did work. Okay, but as a counter-attacking strategy. Well, okay, I'll I'll take some issue with that because uh, while I agree we had two fantastic chances to score, I don't think you can put either of them down to Arsenal creating those chances through effective transition play, moving the ball from back to front. The first one was a mistake from Henderson. Now, to be fair to Pepe, he had a fair bit to do and he did it really, really well. The way he skinned that defender, uh, I can't remember who it was, Matip maybe, or one of the fullbacks, I can't remember mm. which guy it was. And then he he put the shot straight at Adrian, right? The, the, the other uh, chance was a mistake by Adrian. So there were two mistakes. And I'm not saying that you should um, eliminate those from your thinking whatsoever, but it's not as if we were creating ourselves for our two split strikers to exploit the space in behind the the, the Liverpool defence or the space that the fullbacks were leaving behind. You know, I'm... That's, you know, see, I just didn't see it like that at all. Why? Because I felt that we were releasing Pepe and Aubameyang in the channels pretty regularly. And if it didn't always result in a chance, we were definitely giving them problems there. Uh, I think it's about as uncomfortable as Van Dyke's looked in a year and a half. And, uh, I, you know, you th- there are other opportunities. The one there, Pepe, it was a good shot. It wasn't a great chance, but you nearly missed the top corner. And yeah. again, it came from that sort of speed on the break. I mean, I just thought that was very clearly an intentional thing from us. And I think a lot about what we did was intentional. You know, it wasn't, yes, the midfield was getting pulled pillar to post, but what I saw was a, a narrow back four with a diamond in front of it, a willingness to let Liverpool have, Liverpool's fullbacks have the ball mm. 30 yards from goal, mm. where they, to be honest, they can't really do anything. I mean, well, Trent Alexander-Arnold no, made 13 crosses. Okay, hang on. Right? I, I take absolute issue with that, right? Because... Okay, maybe directly they didn't put the ball on a forward's head and score a goal. Right, I think we can all say that. But the first goal came from Alexander-Arnold on the right-hand side, putting in a cross with Xhaka shanked behind for a corner, and from the corner they scored. The second goal, the penalty... A lot of it, of course, is down to the stupidity of David Luiz, and we'll talk about that in, in a few minutes' time. But again, it was a ball from the right-hand side into Firmino. He played the little pass in behind, and, and Luiz made the foul. Now, okay, you can say their crosses were ineffective from an end-product point of view, but what it did was put us under intense pressure right from the very start of the game. From the second minute, they had a ball fizzed across and Firmino nearly got to it. And just from the point of view of of how you try and play a game of football, when you are being bombarded with crosses, with, um, with 
players finding space, and I agree with you, it was deliberate, obviously, to let them have the ball in the wide areas because we didn't want to let them have the ball centrally because I think Emery just had visions of what, what Firmino... Was it what Firmino who just kind of ran right through the centre of our defence last yeah, season? Yeah. He made yeah. Mustafi and Socrates fall over with his gleaming white teeth, and Emery said, well, look, that's where they're really dangerous. But what happens is you're under so much pressure that you sit deeper, you become more, more uh, I just feel like the weight of that pressure eventually will tell and that's what happened with the corner on top of that you can't play you can't play your own game particularly when you're playing it short out from the back so Liverpool are like banging in these crosses you're, you're, you're defending last ditch and then you're playing it short out from the back against one of the most uh, effective pressing teams in the Premier League so while I, I sort of see what you're saying about the, the crosses themselves didn't have an end product I just feel the the weight of that pressure and the relentlessness of Liverpool's attack down those wide areas just it was going to tell eventually. I agree it was, but it would have been the case whatever we did. That's my opinion. Like, ultimately, it's an unsolvable thing because your premise is basically if we play a different style or different formation, Liverpool don't present us with as much attacking threat. And I'm like, nah, they do. Like, they are... The champions of Europe, they are, are, they are possibly the best team on the continent. They, they are miles I, I, ahead I, of I, us. Listen, I'm not arguing. I would not argue with you on that. And I think the, the golfing quality and the golfing class was obvious. It's obvious. Yeah. But I also feel like you have to, when presented with a team like that, let's say, for example, I don't know, a team like Newcastle, who are shit, mm. basically, can somehow magically get a 1-0 result against Tottenham, who are a far better team than they are. I I feel there was just something almost self-defeating about the way we approached this game. It was like, okay, they can really, really hurt us down the centre, but they can only really hurt us down the wings. So let's let them hurt us there. And there there seemed to be, from my point of view anyway, no attempt to try and play to our strengths, such as they are, which I think everybody would agree is the attacking side of our game. So we've got Pepe, Lacazette, we've got Aubameyang. Um, You know, where are we weak defensively? I just feel like a game plan based on uh, a solid defense or or inviting an onslaught of um, deliveries from Liverpool to a back four that's only played together once before, a central defensive partnership that's only played together once before, I just fa- I just can't get my head around how it just felt like a kind of inferiority complex. And I can understand why you would say on paper, well, look, you know, they're much better than us and they're more mature and they're a much more developed team. And I understand all those things. But I think you have to try and play you have to at least try and play. And I think the way we tried to play was so limited. Well, here's the thing. like, It's interesting that you invoke the idea that Newcastle can go to Spurs and win. Because I'll tell you something. They ain't going there trying to play. They had eight shots to Spurs' 17. They had 20% to Spurs' 80. Crystal Palace did the same thing at Manchester United. Mm. Yes, an inferior team can go and win away from home against a much better team, but they aren't doing it by playing expansive football. 
They are doing it by playing compact defence, okay, and playing the percentages and trying to win on the fine margins. All right. So how and- do you how do you tally how do you tally a compact defence with allowing the two best attacking fullbacks in the Premier League? time and space down the wings over and over and over again. They 23 assists last season between them. 23 assists. Yeah. But that's I not agree. compact defending. We were asking Willock and Genduzi to shuffle across. Like you could see from the start, they were like Genduzi sprinting to the right. Willock mm-hmm. is sprinting to the left. After 20 minutes, those guys were fucking jacked. Yeah. That's, but a, I mean, bad, that's a bad plan, th- in my opinion. Okay, I disagree because for me, Andy Robertson can have the ball 30 yards out on the left wing. I haven't got an issue with that, especially when my entire back four is within the width of the penalty area, which ours were for the majority of that game. And sometimes we had, we massively outnumbered them in our penalty box. And that is not easy to do with Liverpool. And for all the talk of the crosses coming in, I don't remember until they scored from a set piece, which was really disappointing. I think it's really disappointing when a plan is sort of working to let yourself down on a set piece. Well, the set and piece. I can't defend. Yeah, the set piece came from a cross that we 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 defended badly. Yeah, the cross sure, but that we allowed. Get a corner in the game, aren't they? I mean, sure, like, no, I agree, I agree. But let's not, you know, let's not ignore that. Well, they could get a corner a million ways in a game. You know, it's it. Uh, once the ball's dead. You've got to be alive and you've got to respond to that situation. Yeah, I mean, that was poor. I agree. That was poor. And, so, you know, do you not think it was a really high-risk strategy, which when it became clear it wasn't working out for us, you know, after the first goal went in, were you, for example, surprised that there wasn't a change at halftime? Well, I, ha- I haven't finished <laughs> okay. what I was saying. Go on. Which is that... It is high risk, yes, but it's potentially massive reward. And in that first half, apart from the set piece from which they scored, I don't remember them having what I considered a really serious chance where I was like, they should score from there. They didn't. We didn't look that we didn't look that bad. I mean, we'll get on to it, but I tweeted that David Luiz was having a great <laughs> game. I thought he was. Yeah. yeah uh, I saw that. 45 that was minutes, funny. He absolutely was. Yeah, yeah, but he was having a great game for 45 minutes. We were comfortable re- until we conceded I, from a set piece. I, I think I and take we issue. had better chances than them. Okay, I take issue with the fact that we were comfortable because we were we were defending madly on the edge of our own box or thereabouts. So I don't know that that's necessarily comfortable. Our, our players were getting pulled all over the place. You know, it's, it, we did what we had to do, I guess, but I just think the, the, the relentlessness of that eventually tells against a team as good as Liverpool that if you don't have anything really um, to offer from an attacking point of view, and I know we had the two chances, but I, I don't think really that we can put those two chances down to to um, the way that we attacked. I think they were mistakes. They were mistakes that we didn't we didn't take advantage of. Well, that's from our mistakes. That's how goals happen, isn't it? I mean, you can always. I know, but if that's your game plan, you know, to wait for another team to make a mistake, it's all a bit Mourinho, isn't it, or something? Well, maybe, but that's what happens when you're an inferior team to the opposition you're playing. Mm. I mean, I think the whole premise of the argument that if we played more expansively, we wouldn't have been hammered. I think we probably would have lost five or six. I mean, genuinely, that's what normally happens. And that we watched that for years. 
We watched Arsene Wenger do it for years and we were so sick of it. And then we go into game with a plan and everyone's fed up about it. I mean, not everyone, but half yeah. of people are fed up about it. But I, I, I just don't see it like that. And it's, it's a gap that can't be crossed because essentially anyone can say, well, if we'd done this, it would have been different. Of course. It can't be disproved. No, of course. We're dealing in what-ifs, you know, and it could have been yeah. a different game if Pepe had scored. It could have been a different game if Aubameyang's lob had had uh, had gone in. You know, I, I accept all that. And it's just, it's really just my uh, gut feeling about the way we approach this game that, um, you know, I, I, I think you could put down uh, the penalty, for example, uh Louise's decision to to make that foul is kind of informed by the fact that we were under the cush, you know, from um, the first whistle to the 45th minute uh, to halftime. And then immediately, yeah. immediately in the second half, there's no change from Arsenal. There's no change in approach, no change in formation, no change in system, no change in personnel. And within what, 60 seconds of the first, uh, of the second half starting, we given the ball away and we put ourselves under pressure again. So all of a sudden, you, you know, you're, you're, you're feeling that weight immediately. You've got to half time and you think, phew, it's only one nil. You know, I, I just feel like, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, you know, I'm quite happy to hold my hands up and say, okay, I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong to you expect more. Yeah, that's fine. You might I'm be. just telling you what I think though, right? I'm just, I'm not going to sit here and, and just fucking say what people want to hear or anything else. I just feel like in this particular game, and again, let me just stress, I'm not going fucking, I, I'm not losing my shit over losing to Liverpool. I, I fully expected to, but I, I just didn't like the way we approached this game. And I definitely didn't like the fact that when we were 2-0 down, it still took him ages to fucking change anything. And I think he should have changed something well before that. Well, we agree on that. I agree on that. I don't, I, I completely agree that the second half and the substitutions, I think there are big question marks to be, you know, placed over some of that stuff. I do think that, we were always going to be under the cosh. Yes, mistakes come when you're under the cosh if you've got bad defenders. We were always going to be under the cosh going into this game. And I I mean, we could go round and round in circles, but I am really surprised by how surprised some people seem by the gulf in quality and how much of a problem it was for us. Um, I don't know if people, and this is, I'm not talking about you specifically, yeah. but if like more broadly people thought the transfer window, because it went well, suddenly we were, we're going to be much closer to these teams. You know, Liverpool are the finished article. They didn't even add an outfield player this summer. They they don't need it. They are yep. at their absolute peak. We are a team with two kids in midfield. You know, again, Doozy 20, Willock 19, a guy at right back who's learning the position, a guy up front who's playing his first full game in English football. We are nowhere near... We are nowhere near. And I personally would rather watch us go there with a plan that might have worked. If we got that first goal, we might have had a chance. And yes, it is a small percentage, but that is all we could ever have had in this game. Right. We couldn't go toe-to-toe with them, I, ever. I agree. I agree. And so I'll take that chance. And I don't love it. I'm not like, hooray, we're a, we're a smaller <laughs> team. We have to play on the break. And, I, you know, I don't love it, but... It's realistic and 
I got tired of the philosoph- philosophical stuff and I liked, I, I like a bit of pragmatism and, but it's a big divide and it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. You know, we've talked a lot about Edu and his role preserving the philosophical ideals of the club. Mm. You know, how does a performance like that sit with him? Yeah. No. Do, does he see it as this is against our anti-Arsenal? This is not who we are. Or does he see it as this is where we are now and we have to accept that? Yeah. Like, it'd be, we don't know. I, I agree. I'd be absolutely fascinated to 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 know what they thought of that performance because they were there. Edu was there and Raul was there. Josh Kroenke was there as well. You know, I, I, I would be absolutely, uh, I'd pay good money to know what they thought of that because to me, it, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going in on Emery here at all. Right. But, and I know it's early in the season, you know, we, we, we won our first two games. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily say that in either case, the performances were particularly great. No, no. So we've lost our a game we expected to lose. So that's not really a big, uh, a big hoo-ha in the grand scheme of things, right? Losing to Liverpool is not something that we should uh, absolutely go completely fucking crazy about. But I, 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 you know, I'm looking at the team and I'm looking at the way we're setting up and I'm looking at the way we're trying to play. And I'm trying to marry that with this idea that we have that somehow there's going to be throughout this season from Emery an identifiable philosophy or system that Arsenal are going to play that we can all say, yes, I like that. I can get behind that. And the more it goes on, the more I don't think that's going to happen because I think his, uh, maybe we said this before in the past, maybe his identity is chameleonic like Mm. it is this we're going to do this for this game we're going to do that for that game we're going to do this for the which isn't to say we can't in some of the games where we've fallen short last season you know some of the games against so-called lesser teams in the Premier League where we've been we've been conservative we've played within ourselves our approach has been you know that way I, I think we can definitely and should definitely be more expansive but I don't think there there is no such thing as Emery Ball, if you like. No, I don't really think there is either. What did you think of the shape, like um, just the fact that we played a diamond? Because it seems to me that last season, a lot of our best performances against bigger, better teams came in a diamond of some fashion, you know. And I think even if I think the away performance at Wembley against Spurs, we had a diamond with Ramsey running from that central position. Mm. Um at times, and, and, and certainly home games against United, Chelsea, we made very good use of it. I mean, do you think that that is a system that can work for Arsenal if it's if it's applied in a different fashion? Or maybe a look. It it requires it requires a link between the front. Uh, the front two and the midfield. And I don't think we had that yesterday because it was kind of all hands on deck from a defensive point of view. So it's about when you you would deploy that particular system. I'm not sure we'll see that too often, to be perfectly honest. Um, maybe we might, you might call it a like a 4-1, uh, 4-1-3-2, something like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I look at it yesterday and I think it's just... It's immediately very easy to to overload us and exploit us on uh, down the wings, but then we're not going to face teams too often who have the the kind of quality that Liverpool have 
you know, in, in the fullback positions. No, I, I mean, it's interesting. Um, a Spurs fan texted me during the game and he was saying, he was saying he thought Arsenal had been a bit hard done by in the match and he thought that uh, a diamond system would be quite effective against Spurs because if you play those sort of wide attackers, they apparently they leave a lot of space in behind their fullbacks and they can be exposed in that way. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what he does with it moving forward. I was like you, a bit confused by the lack of changes really mm. in the second half. And I half wondered if there was like a, almost half uh, half an eye on that Spurs game, an idea of like, well, if I really do believe in the system, am I going to sort of bed it in? Am I going to try and, you know, get more minutes into Pepe, yeah. get more minutes into the shape, get more minutes into Joe Willock in that role? Because we, we've seen Emery do things like that before, where it feels like he's kind of thinking one game ahead almost. And maybe once it went to two or three nil and the game was gone, that sort of became his focus. But yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen him change it early. And I think it's easy to say after the fact when he scored, but I would also probably have preferred Torreira to start too. Over who? Well, my my gut says Shaka. Yeah, but me too. When I look at the numbers, Shaka had thirteen ball recoveries. He had the best passing ratio of any player on the pitch. It's not that he had a bad game necessarily. I just feel like he's not quite dynamic enough for what yeah. we're trying to do. And yeah, I really like Genduzi and Willock. I really, really do. And I think they are a positive thing about this club. And I think if we're going to invest in young players, let's go for it. They're the future. You know, Mm. I'd be happy to, I I sort of forgive them their ills to a certain extent. Uh, And Shaka's not our future. And I I think for that reason, yeah, I'd bring Torreira in for him. Mm. I mean, you know, when you play that way and when you play the way that we played against Liverpool, the ability to move the ball quickly is so important. And, and, you know, for all his qualities, quickness is not one of them. Quickness in terms of turning, moving, passing, mm. it just isn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, it isn't. I mean, and he can do those things in his own good time. When he's given lots of time to do them, he can do them very effectively. Um, yeah, okay, well, you look, you know, it's... Uh, it's, I, I guess, something that Emery can look at and say, well, look, I tried that and it didn't work. I don't think it worked. You think it wasn't quite as bad as I thought it was. Um, of but, course it didn't work. It didn't. No, of course. It, you know, the result. Yeah, the result, yeah. you know, I mean, there's no, I'm not suggesting it worked. I, I just, I suppose I, I, I think there's a method to the madness. Mm. Um, and to a certain extent, he might have viewed that game as a little bit of a free hit. And I think that that is part of this, by the way. I think there is sort of also an emotional component to our reaction as fans where I think it is hard to go to a team. You know, we we call ourselves part of this top six. And I think we like to think that sort of within that top six, six, it's sort of fairly equitable and kind of anybody can beat anybody. (laughs) Well, at the moment, we can't. You know, we haven't beaten a top six team away from home since... Is it January 2015? 23 games? Yeah. That is a record that has to end. And if, if you ask me, like, what can I get out of this season? What do I expect? Obviously, I want the top four. And I'll, I'll put this on record now. And given the fact that I tweeted at half time, I thought David Luiz was having a good game. <laughs> we should all worry about me saying this. But I really, really think we can get top four this season. I, I, and I also think... Go on. Now, I was just going to say, I, I, if you could ask me what else I could have, I would love 
to put that record to bed and win one of these away games. I would love it. Um, I don't think Anfield was ever likely to be the one. Let's hope it's the new White Hart Lane. That would be lovely in our sure first would. game there. But uh, yeah, I think that's something we need to put to bed because that is, you know. It's a millstone, again, isn't it? It's a millstone and it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. And as fans, there's no two ways about it. It's a bit embarrassing, really. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 got, it's, got to, it's got to reach an end because if we are part of this top six and we are sort of, you know, swinging along with everybody else, mm. we need to deliver one of these results sooner rather than later. Yeah, for sure. We need to, you know, break that hoodoo, if you want to call it a hoodoo. But I do think, I do think we need to approach these games in a slightly different way. Mm. Uh, if we are going to, if we are going to break that record, I think... I agree, though. I, I, we, we agree on that. I think when we go to Stamford Bridge and when we go to Old Trafford and when we go to White Hart Lane, I do want to see a, a more um, proactive, expansive response. I, I really, really do. And I want us to see us attack the game more. Uh, let me ask you very quickly. Etihad, let me ask you quickly. Yeah, I was just going to bring no up thanks. Man City. Do, <laughs> do you do you put Liverpool at Anfield in the same bracket as Manchester City at the Etihad? In that, you look at that game and you think it's damage limitation more than the potential for points. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's damage limitation. I think it often becomes damage limitation by about the hour mark. But I think I I would go there with a similar strategy, with a thing of like, well, look, if we go toe-to-toe with them, we're in big trouble. So let's try. And it's not a nice, you know, thing to label it, but essentially a bit of a smaller team mentality where we sit in and look to exploit their mistakes, exploit opportunities on the break. Because as we've seen this weekend with Spurs and Newcastle or, or, or United and Palace, that can work. And it's not pretty, but the pretty way hasn't worked for us for a long time in those games. Mm. Um, so, yes, I do. I, and I think Liverpool and City are ahead of everybody else in that top six. And I think yeah. everyone I think a, everyone pretty much agrees on that. It's a top two, thing. isn't it? It's a top two. And then it's like, yeah. it's a top two. And mm. then after that, it's, you know, it's the rest of us, the other four, scrapping it out for that, uh, scrapping it out for, for the two Champions League places. I mean, that's the reality yeah. of it. Um, yeah. I mean, look, the season might play out very differently. Who knows what might happen? Teams can go on tremendous runs of form or they might lose form. You know, let's not forget two or three years ago, pretty much every team in that top six had a fucking absolute stinker of a season and Leicester won the league. So you don't know 100%, but mm-hmm. I, it feels like they are they are the top two. Right, let's talk David Luiz, the man who you jinxed to hell and back uh, with, with your tweet about how well he was playing. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, do you know what? I actually I actually didn't specifically say how well he was doing. I said that I liked him and yeah. I, I really was feeling it at the time. I just, he gave a great interview after the Burnley game last week where he talked about, you know, his passion to play for the club and to prove people wrong. And I just think he'd walked into the club and been a bit of a breath of fresh air. And then the odour of that particular air uh, soured quite dramatically uh, yeah. in the second half yesterday. But yeah, I mean, I was talking to my brother who's a Chelsea fan. Yes. Um, and he said, he said, look, 
Louise will do this a couple of games a season. Not every game, not Mustafi levels, but a couple of games a season, he will absolutely lose his head. And he said, in a way, better that it happens in a game. That you're going to lose anyway. going to win anyway. <laughs> It'd be more damaging, you know, if he did it against... Exactly, yeah. It'd be more damaging if it happened against, you know, Crystal Palace like Mustafi yeah. last season. So let's hope, let's just hope and pray that's Louise's sort of mad moment He's out of the way that. for... A little while, because honestly, until that point, I thought he'd been doing pretty good as yeah. Arsenal player. Like he, so yeah. yeah, hold my hands up there. He's hopefully he's got it out of his system. I mean, it was a ludicrous foul. The, I mean, I have to say, I'm sitting here 24 hours later, and I'm still absolutely astonished at his post-match interview with Sky Sports. I know it's unbelievable. But Emery as well. I didn't see Emery. What did Emery say? I know Emery said he thought it was a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's and of what course it plays into the third goal it plays into the third goal doesn't it because if he's not on a booking he's bringing Salah down there well but you know yeah look here's, he's, yeah but here's the thing you know for the third one if you're on a booking you don't go that that high up the pitch to try and cut out true. to cut out uh, a ball to Salah you just back off and let him come at you and like he's a he's a decent tackler David Luiz and he's experienced enough to know that he can position himself in a way which might have let Monreal get back and might have, you know we could have crowded him out so it was really an experience defending the interview post game if, if people haven't seen it I'm sure it's doing the round somewhere but basically he was asked about the red card and he said ah, it was just a reflex and actually the power I didn't really pull him that hard this is the gist of it I'm paraphrasing here he said, I spoke to Momo afterwards and he said, I didn't even feel it. That's why I didn't fall on the floor. But of course, the referees, he just sees the shirt being pulled and VAR, well, you know, it's very difficult for them now with VAR because you can't see how much power there is in the in the thing. And then he talked about how, well, if, if, <laughs> if you're wearing large or extra large shirts, you're going to have penalties all the time. And I'm st- I was looking at it going, am I... Am I absolutely <laughs> drunk? Has somebody put something in my drink? Right. What the fuck is he talking about? Like, imagine- Someone needs to tell Louise and Socrates about VAR. Yes. Do they know? <laughs> Do they even know? I- Some of the stuff they were doing yesterday, I was like, are you aware that this game's being filmed? There are cameras everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh crazy. I mean, even on the corner, like what Socrates was doing... I think he sort of ended up pulling Genduzi down, didn't yeah, he? Inadvertently for the opening goal. It's yeah, nuts, nuts. Yeah. Like I think, I mean, maybe that's part of Louise's character, where you go, well, look, you know, remember we used to talk about Theo Walcott, and he'd sort of, you know, go yeah. on a dribble and run the ball out of play, and then he'd sort of trot back upfield like nothing ever happened. Like it wasn't. Yeah. He was like the anti-Ox, where the minute Oxley Chamberlain took a bad touch, he'd be like, oh fuck. Oh Jesus, I'm I'm really shit at this. Oh, this is terrible. What, how am I ever going to play football again? Whereas Walcott was like, <laughs> whenever he did anything bad, like nothing seemed yeah. to get under his skin. I, maybe that's just who who David Luiz is, and he can't just say, "Yeah, fair enough. I made a big fuck up there. Uh, sorry about that." You know, he went on this bizarre ramble about referees on VAR and and shirts and what have you. So. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe that kind of breezy character that he has is sort of what makes him sort of Teflon and able to survive these high-profile areas. I mean, it's not entirely dissimilar to, like, 
um, someone like Piero Emerick Aubameyang maybe who misses some big chances but they don't really seem mm. to massively affect him you know he just kind of brushes it off smiles on he goes scores the next one uh, and let's hope let's hope that's true for Luis because you know we we do need him and yesterday was a reminder that he's he's far from perfect as a centre half but He's yeah. probably going to be in our team next uh, week in the dark. Yeah, he probably is. And of course, you know, we're, you're playing yeah. a team that's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Light on their feet, divey, yes. cheating they punts. They don't is need it? an invitation or no. a hand on the shirt or anything, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And Socrates, I mean, God love him, but he's he's going to have to clean up his act this season. Uh, there's no that's, doubt about that's that. A tough, that's a tough thing to do when you're 30 years of age and you've played the same way your entire career. And all of a sudden now there's this mm. this other god in the sky who can see everything yeah. that you do. Who can, he can see everything. And no matter how, how hard you try to hide it, he can see it. That's going to be tough. I know. That you're is seeing be I. I'm- yeah. I mean, I mean, you have to imagine, him, but I mean, uh, they, they, yeah. they must have been uh, briefed on VAR, right? The players must have been briefed about, you know, what the impact of VAR could be on the way that they play and, and you know, the way that they Surely. just the, the, the sort of things that are going to get penalized. Yeah, I believe most clubs also had a presentation from from the Premier League about how VAR would be implemented so the players were fully aware of, you know, what exactly the system is so that they know, you know, there's no point appealing for the Mm. ref to go back and review something. It's out of his hands. So, yeah, there's no excuse, really. Everyone's absolutely aware of what the situation is. I think you might be right. It might just be a case of, are we able to teach an old dog new tricks because the the landscape has changed and the the way the game is looked at has changed, particularly in that penalty box, particularly from things like set pieces. Um, so yeah, we're going to see, we're going to see a few penalties awarded against us if we're not careful this season. Woof. Um, right. Um, anything else we should talk about, about that particular game? Um, I, I mean, mean there's, sure there's plenty of things we'll have questions on. Yeah, I'm sure uh, there's a Lacazette coming on in the 81st minute. I mean, that was, that was, yeah, that was very late. Quite strange, I think, don't you? Yes, I thought it was strange. I mean, there was part of me, there was part of me who was going like, uh, I wouldn't blame him if he just said fuck off at this point, <laughs> like in yeah. the 81st minute. Look, maybe, maybe he was carrying a bit of a knock again, you know, and that, that could well have been part of the, uh, of the whole thing. You know, we don't know if like, is that was maybe carrying an injury, which meant he couldn't start the game, but like nine minutes at the end when it's three nil just seemed a bit pointless to me. Yes, I agree. I, I mean, like I'd like to have seen it earlier. That's, you know. Yeah. And also potentially go to the three earlier. We, to a certain extent, we might as well give it a go at that point. I mm. think, um, uh, yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder how much we'll see, of that front three. It was interesting, wasn't it? Sort of, I think maybe that was part of the disappointment as well. This was a game that was sort of billed as Liverpool's front three against Arsenal's front three. And those six players were never on the pitch at any one time. Mm. Uh, And that's, I suppose, quite disappointing. I think it will be different in the reverse fixture, but yeah, I thought, uh, I thought Lacazette did all right as well when he got on. And I thought it was strange that it took so long. You could see what he could have brought to that game. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's a tenacity in him and Torreira. I think, I think, yeah, there are definitely question marks over the personnel selection. I, it was fascinating, wasn't it, to see 
Joe Willock at 19, given his head essentially in a game of that importance, in a role that probably he's never played before. I think we can fair to fairly say as yeah, a yeah, left yeah. side of a midfield diamond. Um, and the, the responsibility that came with that, because he, he clearly gave it to two to two young players, to Willock and to Ganduzi. Um, they were tasked with that job of, of shut it, uh, shuttling out to the wings and trying to stop the the crosses coming in or at least making it more difficult for those players to do that. So maybe yeah. it's about, you know, youth and energy and, uh, you know, how much they've got in their legs. But, you know, if there is a positive um, for me from that game, look, I thought Pepe had some great moments. You know, the, the mm-hmm. finish... Uh, was was tame and disappointing considering the position that he worked so hard to put himself in. But you can see that there are there there are things that when he's a hundred percent fit are going to cause defenses problems because he looked maybe about eighty percent fit yesterday. Didn't really yeah. look fully there. He looked down after about an hour to me, to yeah. be honest. Which again I found surprising. Maybe they thought the minutes were valuable to him, but uh, a lot to be excited about. I think he completed more take-ons than any other player in the game. That's not a huge surprise because we know he's a good dribbler. Yeah, I thought he had some really lovely moments and he didn't get the goal, you know, to cap it off, but he, he caused a real threat, very lively, great dribbling, good movement. Mm. And actually, I, I know I spoke to uh, my brother who's a Chelsea fan and my mate who's a Spurs fan about the game and they both said to me, you know, completely of their own volition, how dangerous he looked. And I always think if you've got opposition fans looking at a new signing and thinking they look exciting, they look promising, that's a good sign, you know, Mm. potentially something for them to be worried about and us to be excited about. Yeah, I think getting the minutes under his belt ahead of the derby next weekend is is really important. I guess we're going to have some questions uh, about that. Mm. Um, Okay, look, let's do that. Uh, You know, we're nearly 49 minutes in, so let's take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. This holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and on the Arsblog Patreon Discord server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. From there, I'm going to take the first question, James. It comes from Worldwide Winder, and he wants to know, do you think that not attempting to set up to play, 
I guess more positively, hinders our ability to judge how good we are compared to Liverpool? Um, That's a good question. Mm. Presumably it does. Uh, Presumably it does. And I think if you think about maybe the home game against Liverpool last season where we were a bit more proactive is the word I'll use and we it felt like in certain departments we were able to if not match them certainly challenge them we gave them a good game Mm -hmm. that day Uh, I think there is a kind of a psychological factor with this team when it goes on the road that is you know it goes some way towards explaining why we're so bad Mm. uh, away from home and why we've got this dreadful record away against the top six. Can I just um, stop you there and remind people of the team that we played in the game against Liverpool last Mm. season? Um, And we played very well at home. And I agree with you, the, the, the away thing has got to be a consideration simply because our record is so bad. But it was Leno Bellerin holding Mustafi Kolasinac in a back four. Um... Mkhitaryan, Ozil, Torreira, Xhaka, uh, Lacazette, Aubameyang. Mkhitaryan, Torreira, Ozil, Xhaka, mm. Lacazette, Aubameyang. Mm. Uh, so was that a diamond? But, well? I can't remember. I can't know. Yeah, I, I seem it, to think it was. Maybe it was. Yeah, I can't remember. I was at the game, but I can't remember. I remember Xhaka having a brilliant game, and Torreira had a very good game as well. Like we bossed the Liverpool midfield that day, which was Fabinho, Wijnaldum and, and Milner, um, with the two that we had in mid in the centre of midfield. So you know, based yeah. up, based on that, you know, maybe the scope to be a bit more adventurous. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I suppose, yeah. It, it, listen, I, if it happens, it, it happens. I'm not sort of, you know, nailing my colours to any particular mast on this. I just can understand the temptation to not do that away from home necessarily. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it is hard to say how close we are to Liverpool, but... I think we are some way away and that's as much, it's not because even of the calibre of players, you know, I don't necessarily think Gigi Wijnaldum is, a, you know, a much better player than a Lucas Torreira uh, or, you know, that Aubameyang's you know, not the calibre of striker of a, a Mane or a Firmino. But what Liverpool do have is a very established way of playing, a very coherent way of playing, mm. a way of playing that maximises mm. the strengths of their team. Mm, like the attack? <laughs> uh, well, to a certain extent, yeah. But I yeah. mean, I think not just the attack. I think, you know, the the, the way their team set up is in a big way to exploit the, their strengths at fullback as well. Okay. Um, Do you, let me, sorry to cut across you. Do you think the consistency of their their um, team selections and the, the the sort of the overarching philosophy which is there and we can see, like obviously Klopp, you know, is a tactically astute manager and can tweak things here and there, but, but Liverpool have a way of playing mm-hmm. which has developed over time and mm. seen them become a really impressive team. And when you consider where Liverpool were, you know, not too long ago, that's you know that's a hell of a leap forward. I mean, how much oh. do you how much do you 
you know, looking at it from the outside, obviously, because we're not Liverpool fans and we're not experts or anything like that. But do you not feel like that the the sort of that Klopp's got a, a, a sort of a baseline, a blueprint, a way that he wants his team to play, which he can adapt here and there or whatever? Do you not feel like that's been the key part of making them what they are? And that if Klopp was changing formation and system week in, week out, they might not be in this position? Uh, well, I think Klopp is the reason they are as good as they are. I definitely do think that. And if the question is sort of simplified to like, would I rather have Jurgen Klopp managing Arsenal? Of course That's I would. That's not what I was asking, but you know, I, I know, I, I, I take your point. I suppose what I'm saying is that there are coaches who succeed in that Klopp fashion, who have a very clear philosophy and who don't make dramatic uh, changes to their team. Although I think he does tweak things here and there, as you say. Um, there are coaches as well who succeed in uh, another more flexible manner. I think they're generally less celebrated because, you know, it's it's more difficult to sort of foster a kind of cultish following when it's unclear exactly what your style is. You know, it's sort of less fundamentally exciting and attractive. Uh, and I'm mm. not talking about the quality of the football, but it's just like, you know, you can't sort of deify a guy who essentially is a mechanic who tweaks, you know, under the hood and shifts things about. I think it's just, and I think as Arsenal fans, we're kind of indoctrinated slightly in the this sort of slight idea that, you know, the manager is this philosopher, essentially. Um, Unai Emery will never be that. He will never, ever be that. Someone who's waiting for Unai Emery to become a manager who has one style of play that he applies week after week is only going to be disappointed. And that is a lot of Arsenal fans. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of Arsenal fans. But that is the coach that we have, in my my opinion. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, from what I've seen of him so far, I don't think it's necessarily the case that you know, once he has these one or two players, suddenly Emery Ball exists. I don't subscribe to that, really. Okay, here's uh, a... Sorry, let me just uh, uh, give you another question here from the Facebook. It comes from Glenn Campion, I think it is. And he says, does Emery's tactics for games such as Liverpool show a pragmatic approach to a clearly better side? Or does it plant seeds of doubt with the players that they're not good enough to win the match on merit and in turn affect our overall confidence slash belief? Because hmm. there was that joke, yeah, and it was a joke, in fairness, where he said, you know, we'd rather not have to play Liverpool, uh, Emery, um, in the in the week before the game. And it was, oh, you know, obviously a joke. Maybe not the greatest joke of all time, but mm-hmm. he was sort of saying it tongue-in-cheek, and it was like, uh, yeah, obviously Liverpool are a brilliant team. They're very difficult to play against. We have a terrible record against them at Anfield. So, you know, whatever. But should you say that? I mean, are those things from which players pick up small things? I, I'm not sure. To me, that remark uh, didn't really matter to me. You know, I, I sort of think players are pros. They go out there, try to win the game. Mm. I'm not sure that, that that that's true, that if you have a sort of more defensive approach or a, a more uh, reactive approach, that the players aren't going to feel confident. I actually mm. think that sometimes footballers just want to be told what to do. You know, and if they're given a very clear set of instructions, that's as likely to buoy them up and make them feel secure as anything else. I think that there are managers who cultivate that amazing 
kind of atmosphere that that Arsene Wenger was able to for a period in time where players really did feel like they were truly expressing themselves and sort of you know uh playing with supreme confidence and I, and I do think that can happen and I think Jurgen Klopp probably is one of those managers yeah. and I think Unai Emery probably isn't mm. and you know that's the funny thing I think I get a sort of uh I get a lot of <laughs> tweets of people being like you're defending Emery and it's like well I'm very aware of his limitations like I I'm not saying he's the greatest manager in the world I just can see he's a guy doing a job and I can apply a logic to the job that he's doing um are there better managers out there yeah do they want to manage Arsenal I don't know Jurgen mm. Klopp doesn't well no he's got a very he's got a very good job um yeah yeah look and look I think it's important to say that you know w- when I was talking about the game and I was tweeting about the game yesterday and saying that I didn't see the positives that Gary Neville was going on about like the, that what was the one quote that um did my head and he said well if Arsenal Arsenal will win a lot of away games playing like this this season I was thinking what what do you mean? Like, what? how are we going to win a lot of away games sitting deep defensively with a defense that can't defend, lumping it towards a couple of quick forwards? I mean, that's, you know, that's really basic industrial football. Maybe he was talking about, you know, the commitment and the, the effort, and maybe that's what it was. But, um, you know, you, you, can, you can look at a game in isolation, and you can have your opinion on a game in isolation and say, in my opinion, I thought the manager got this wrong. You know, it's not it's not fucking going in two-footed on the guy or it's not like saying uh, I want him sacked or anything like that. Similarly, if you say I can see the logic behind what Emery did, it doesn't mean that you're like you've got posters of Unai Emery on your wall or your ceiling or anything like that. I do, that. though. Oh, you I do. do? I know I, you do. I, I have a special Unai Emery bedspread. <laughs> <laughs> I sleep with every night. Oh, what a good evening you have every night. But, you know, no, it's, you know, let's remember that there is nuance within uh, football discussion that not everything has to be binary. Not everything has to be black and white that you can just say, I didn't like the way Arsenal played in this game. And that's that. And if we play better in the next game, I'm absolutely, you know, full of praise for that. You know, we, we can, we can change our minds based on what we see and what evidence is presented to us. And I wish more people would do that uh, from a football point of view and beyond. Well, yeah. And I also think that, yes, we can look at this game uh, in its sort of microcosm as in isolation. But I also think that we'll only properly be able to analyse it truly at the end of this season or certainly a good way into the season when we kind of Mm. find out to what extent what Gary Neville said is is true or has some merit. You know, do Arsenal perform better on the road this year than they did last season? Do we start to improve once some of those new signings have settled, once some of those younger players have grown in in confidence it's very difficult to know you know we could we could lose to Liverpool at any point in the season Mm. and uh, you know it would be difficult and upsetting but we need more time and I think every Arsenal fan is looking at this season and thinking to a certain extent the excuses for Unai Emery are gone he's been really backed in the transfer market he's had a year to get himself you know settled at the club get his feet under the table what he achieves in the course of this season will essentially determine his future and whether or not he stays in the job. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it, it won't come down to any one game, but 
once when, when we're able to take a bit of a step back and have a look at it more broadly, you know, yeah. of course we're right to I, analyse it and look at it because that is the decision that has to be made by the club. Yeah, sure. And I don't think Liverpool away is the game on which you can make definitive judgments about Emery, you know, not at all. The season is what will give us that. You know, I think he has to get us back into the top four or he has to get us back into the Champions League uh, via the Europa League. I mean, that is it. It's it's Champions League next season or yeah. he's gone. In my opinion, I think he's gone yes. if he doesn't do that. And he should be gone if he doesn't do that. So, you know, the onus is on him to 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 get his team out there, winning as many games and uh, achieving as many points as possible. Um, and I hope he, you know, I hope he does it in a in a in a kind of more aggressive way than he did this weekend. But that's you know that's obviously just my thing. So, your question, my question. Um... <laughs> By the way, as well, I will say. Go on. I, I, I don't. I like having these debates. If I think it's it's good, it's healthy. It doesn't have to be. A lot of people say like because uh, we agree so much on stuff. I think when people, <laughs> when we don't, people assume that it's ill tempered. Yeah, but of actually, course. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I think it makes for a good podcast. Yeah. So let's my- hope he continues to deploy these negative tactics. <laughs> and well, look, and if we can win some of the games while we're doing it, so we're not like sitting here, um, well, you know, that's pointless. That that's the mad good. thing. You know, that is the mad thing. And that's what mm. it all comes down to. That if Arsenal somehow nick a result yeah. playing that way, everyone probably says, oh, yeah. clever, isn't it? But, yeah. you know, it's the way it goes. Well, Michael, John- before you ask, Michael at Uller 56 says, if it came to an actual fight between yourself and James, who would win? I think you'd win. You're bigger than me. Yeah, but yeah. if my glasses came off, it's game over. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Cool. If you take the, not the glasses off, and I'm absolutely screwed. Okay, um, I'll remember that. Now, <laughs> depending John on how the season goes. <laughs> on, yeah, exactly. John Foster on Discord says, mm-hmm. "If Nacho leaves this week, does it limit our tactics till Tierney is fit? And if so, should we hold on to him till January?" We should not sell Nacho Monreal before the North London derby. I don't right. think we should. I think we've got a day to do that deal, or that deal could be absolutely 100% in place, ready to go on September 2nd, which is the close of the transfer window. The The game, the Spurs game is um, September 1st, right? Is that I believe right? so, yeah. Right. Let me double check. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you do the double check. September the 1st, the Sunday. Yeah. So, like, assuming that Nacho's up for playing and that we're not, like, overly concerned with the fact that we might miss out on two million pounds or whatever it is we might get for Nacho Monreal in the current market from Real Sociedad, assuming this is all going to go through, you know, do it, do it after, do it after the derby. And we go into an international break. Kieran Tierney could come back or could be on his way back then. Um, it, I mean, it feels like one of the left backs has to go and it seems that it's, uh, it seems that it's going to be Monreal. Um, I think it's a bit How do you feel about that decision? Um, I, I, I can see the logic to it in that he is nearly, what is he? He's going to be 33 in February. Mm-hmm. Until then, of course, he's only 32 because that's the way this shit works. Sure, sure. Um, but, you know, I can see it. So Kolasinac is, you know, whatever he is, 26, 27 years of age. So you've got a, a more saleable asset there. I think Monreal has been linked with a move back 
um, for a number of years now. Maybe the legs aren't what they were, although I was very impressed with him against Burnley. Um, I just I just wor- worry a little bit that there are going to be games perhaps when we want to deploy a back three. And I think he's, you know, 32 is not old. Maybe it's old for a rampaging fullback, but it's not that old for somebody who's playing as part of a back three. No, I think you're right. But if you are looking to play a back three, I think Rob Holding does very well in that left-sided role. Yes, I agree. Three. I've seen him do very well there in the past. And I think on balance, I think if there is an opportunity to get some money back for a player who's 33 and very near the end of their career, I think you probably do it in the knowledge that if you want to sell Kalasinac too, he's under contract for another three years or so. You can mm. still do it in the summer. I mean, it's, it's putting a big burden on Kieran Tierney, make no mistake, because you know Kalasinac has got his problems as a left-back, particularly in a four. Uh, so Tierney really needs to hit the ground running and, and be the real deal. Um, well, that's so, yeah. that's why we bought him. Yeah, that's exactly. We bought him. We've spent a good chunk of money on him, so yeah. we must believe that he is the guy. Um, I will be sad to see Nacho go. Actually, I really have really liked him as yes. an Arsenal player, even even when his physicality sort of faded away somewhat. You know, I don't think you could ever question his commitment. I think he's been a super pro. I think he's exceeded expectations for the most part, uh, and he's been quite a rare thing, which is like a relatively good. Arsenal defender. Consistent. You know, he's he's had consistency and that's not something that we've had too often, to be honest. You know, he was generally a 7 out of 10 player. Week in, week out, he might give you an 8 or a 9 some weeks, but very, very rarely did he fall below that 7. Um, you know, so I think he has been he has been a great servant. I'll be sad to see him go. He seems like a really good pro, good guy, you know, solid, um, but one of the left backs has to go. We can't carry three left backs into into a season. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be him. And if it uh, if it has to happen, it can happen on September second. It can all be arranged, um, yeah. and he can fly to to Bill Bauer or wherever you fly into uh, to get that deal done with, with Rail Sociedad. So, uh, yeah. Look, I think that's a good idea. I think, yeah, hold it off till then. Mm. We need him next weekend. Mm. Um, I have a question. Over to you. Yeah, yeah, it comes from Byron James, who's at Byron underscore Barrister on uh, Twitter. I wonder what he does for a living, that guy. Anyway, he says, what's less He works support- at Byron Burger, apparently. <laughs> good burgers. Uh, he <laughs> he says- makes the coffee there. Carry on. <laughs> he says, what's less surprising? That Ozil didn't make the away trip up north or that people barely noticed? Hmm. I think people noticed. Oh, yeah, they noticed. Um, Were you surprised? I. No. No, never am. <laughs> uh, but there is a lot going on with Mesut Ozil, and I am mm. sympathetic to his situation. Yeah. Um, although Kalasinac, of course, was there and in the squad. I, I mean, this is crazy. I, this won't happen, but th- there's part of me that still thinks, could he go? Could he go? I don't know. I, I know, it, I'm sort of 90% sure it won't, but there's a little part of me that's just nagging away, thinking, is this all more trouble than it's worth to him, being in England and putting up with this crap that he's had to put up with and okay. not really being an important part of the team? You do, know? You, do you think his absence 
from the squad that travelled to Liverpool was down to the off-field issues, which have been awful for him and for Kolasinac? Or do you think it was simply a case that Unai Emery said, this is a game away from home against Liverpool. I don't have a place in my squad for Mesut Ozil. I think it's probably more so the latter, but I think that's informed by the fact that he hasn't been able to play yet. Essentially, he's not really match fit. He and played think, all preseason. He was, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I think in terms of competitive minutes, I think Unai Emery has, we know he has concerns about deploying Ozil in away games. I think an Ozil who has not played any competitive minutes yet, it's probably not his sharpest. I think that tips the balance and probably turns him from being a bench player into a, a leave at home player, which I know sounds mm. mad to say. I mean, what did you make of it? I was, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been, but I was slightly surprised, slightly mm. in that, you know, if you if if it's a tight game and it's one nil and there's 15 minutes left and you need somebody to create a chance, Ozil is that guy or potentially that guy, right? You know, he does have that quality. We all know it. He's, you know, an away game at Liverpool is too intense for him, which is a ridiculous thing mm-hmm. to say for our <laughs> for our uh, highest paid player and everything else. It is It is absurd to say that. But, you know, against a slightly more tired Liverpool team who might be getting a little bit nervous with only a one-goal lead, who might potentially be pushing forward to you know, to get the goal that might kill the game. If Arsenal can get the ball and get it to somebody who can find a pass, you know, you could see how there might be a, a place for Ozil in that squad. So I was a little bit surprised, I have to say, a little bit surprised, but I think it just solidifies what we what we already know about what Emery thinks of Mesut Ozil. Yeah, and... Do you think I'm mad thinking that there's any possibility that anything could change in the last week of the transfer window? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't know where he could possibly go. I just don't know. So, yeah, I think, not that you're mad, but I just think it's not really, um, it's not really, I just don't see how it can happen. Not a realistic prospect. No. It's it's funny, the the only thing stopping it is like there being a buyer, basically. I mean, everyone else, I think even Meza Erzo at this point, you know, maybe with what's gone on personally might be like, yeah, sure. All right, I'll go. But I'm just not sure there's a viable deal. No. Um... What about this question? I thought this was interesting from Nunu Newbie on Twitter, who's at Sir Are You? Uh, and they ask, does the apparent competence of our front office give you more confidence than you uh, give you more confidence that they did or have made the right decision with Unai Emery? I think the the um the front office that's there now did not make the decision about Unai Emery. No. I mean, we are, we, are, we are told that they were involved, certainly, like Ralph Sanyehi was, but essentially Ivan Gazidis presided over that process, didn't he? Yeah, and let's not rake up old ground, but it was, <laughs> it was going to be Arteta's job for a long time. And then they changed tack right at the last minute and they gave us this story about, you know, um, dossiers and interviews and, and all those kind of things. Um, so... I, you know what I feel confident about? I feel confident that the front office we have right now 
would be more prepared to make a change than give a manager the benefit of the doubt for too long if things weren't going well. That's what I think. That's where I would have confidence. Interesting. And, and maybe more confidence on them when it came to the appointment of whoever our next manager might yeah, be. Yeah, potentially. Potentially so, yeah. Um, that's. I mean, that's a quite a turnaround, really. I mean, I suppose you're not giving it the most ring endorsement. You're saying it's you'd have more confidence than the last regime. But... Um, no, I mean, like there's quite I, I, a lot of positive sentiment at the moment towards that front office. Yes, of course. You know, Raul is the, you know, he's the everybody's hero at this moment in time. And, um, you know, I think it, there's a sort of organizational strategy there that wasn't there before. And everybody's clearly working towards this one goal, which isn't yet the Premier League title. It's to get back into the Champions League and then build a team which can compete for the Premier League title. You know, you know, if we get to, uh, and I hope, like, genuinely, I hope this is not the case, but if we get to Christmas and we're miles off the top four, I wonder how long they would stick with it. I wonder how long they'd stick with it. You know, simply because the sooner you make a change, if you decide that things aren't going the right way or are, are never going to go the right way with a guy, the more chance you have of, of building something. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think we can, I don't think we can put the appointment of Unai Emery on this particular executive committee right now, because it's very mm-hmm. different from, from what it was. You know, Sanyehi mm-hmm. had only just arrived. Mislintar was there. Um, you know, Gazidis was there. Gazidis is gone. Mislintar is gone. Raul is the guy. Edu's the guy who's going to, you know, look at the technical direction of, of the club. Um, there is a football executive committee there too. So, look, I, I, I feel like we're probably at a stage which maybe isn't something we're used to at Arsenal where, where we demonstrate a kind of ruthlessness with managers that we haven't always shown in the past. Mm. You remember Bruce Rioc only got a year because they, they, they figured they, they had somebody much better. And I, I, I feel like if Arsenal felt like they had somebody much better than Unai Emery, they'd be prepared to do that. Yeah. It feels so. like that. Well, look, if they're going to sell Montreal, there's been a degree of ruthlessness with the playing staff that I think suggests maybe that would be applied to the coaching mm. staff too. Okay. And that, I think everyone thinks that's a positive thing, really. Yeah. Um, I, I have a question. Question. yeah, from Corey No on the Discord. He says, why is Emery hesitant to use Lacazette in big six matches away from home? He's consist- consistently performed in those games, right? Which I'm not sure he really has. I went through last season. I went through right. last season. And Chelsea away... He's on the bench. Came on after uh, 75 minutes. Manchester United away. He's on the bench. Came on after 65 minutes. Uh, Liverpool away. He's on the bench. Came on after 71 minutes. Man City away. Uh, He started that game and scored. No, he didn't score. That was uh, the season before, I think. Um, Who's the other big six uh, Spurs. Spurs away, I can't remember. Tottenham away. He started but was taken off after 56 minutes for um, Aubameyang. 
Yes. A- and then Chelsea, no, did we do Chelsea away already? Yes. Yeah, we did, yeah. We did. He okay. came on off the bench, didn't yeah. start, I think. So he has, there is a reluctance there to use him, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's interesting, isn't it? I, difficult to understand. I mean, because you, you did start him in that Spurs game at a time when he was really in form. Mm. Maybe it's the slight reluctance of playing the two. You know, it's just, it's maybe been more of one from two. This weekend, he went for two, but yeah. Lacazette wasn't one of them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't quite trust him. I mean, he'd, if I said, if I was, if Emery had to keep one and or, you know, pick one every week, it would be Aubameyang, I think. Uh, I think that'd be the same probably for most fans. But they, they do link well together and Lacazette brings such different qualities to the team. Yeah. And and I, and I agree with you that we could have used some of those against Liverpool. That ability, that tenacity, that ability to, that willingness to go on one challenge, to hold the ball, to bump his man, to, to win a foul, to put in a foul. You know, I'm not dismissing his technical capacity, but those are really useful attributes to us, especially when we're looking to to hold the ball and get out. Um, so, yeah, I, I wonder if he'll be back in at the weekend. Mm. I mean, I'd like to see him in. Yeah, we, we, uh, we've got a couple of questions here. I think we should uh, maybe just finish off with these questions. Um, on, let me just see. I had it here on the Discord. It was definitely on the Discord. Um, James Reef, by the way, says, why doesn't me making my Ham on Ruffles debut in Spain guarantee an away win at Liverpool? He was uh, tweeting at us from Spain with a big gigantic <laughs> packet of, of Ham on Ruffles, um, which is, you know, it's very like- concerning. Very yeah, yeah. They're the silver lining, I guess, for him this weekend. Basically, uh, I, can you find, uh, can you do a search on this? Let's see. Now, um, anyway, it's basically about what kind of a team you would pick for the North London Derby. Keen O'Sullivan, for example, on Twitter says, uh, he's at Keen O'Sullivan 21. Does your North London Derby team include Shaka? Hmm. Good question. Give me your North London uh, Derby team. What What do you think Emery's going to play? What do I think he's going to play, or what would I What would I choose him to play? Uh, I think. Yeah. Okay. Both. What I'd like him to do is play the front three. I would really like him. Me too. Uh, and I think you know when you look at that Liverpool team and the front three they have, the midfield three they have behind it. Well, the one they had against us, Henderson, Fabinho, Wijnaldum. If it's not one of them, it's Milner. It's not an inspiring midfield three, and it's not a midfield three that you'd say has loads of sort of go-forward momentum to yeah, it. That comes yeah. from the fullbacks. It's three players who at Arsenal would probably be called relatively defensive midfielders, and I do think that that, if I could choose the direction we took, I think that sort of model, that sort of shape it would be right for us. So with that in mind, I, I would go the front three, Pepe from the right, Aubameyang sort of ostensibly from the left, Lacazette through the middle. I'd go a back four, so Leno with Montreal if he's still here, and Maitland-Niles at fullback, Luis and Socrates on their best behaviour in the middle. And then in that midfield three, the first name on the team sheet for me, the easiest one for me is Gunduzi at the moment. Right. Uh, then I would go Torreira. Yeah. And then I think I would go Ceballos, actually. I know he had a very difficult game at Liverpool and it was a bit of a plummet down to earth from him from the Burnley match. But I think at home, 
in a derby. You'll be desperate to impress. I think that's the three that I think gives you a little bit of everything. And I think as good as Joe Willock's been, it's not going to kill him to put him on the bench for a week. So no, I don't think Shaka would be in my preferred 11. What yeah, about you? I've, the same, the same. I think, mm. uh, yeah, that would be the midfield that I would pick because it gives you everything that you need. You've got the player who can come and pick the ball up from defence. You've got your your so-called defensive midfielder in, in Torreira, but we know he's much more than that, but somebody who can uh, win the ball, intercept, you know, uh, put us on the transition, Sabayas to link the play to the front three. Um, I mean, we're talking like Mesut Ozil isn't going to play in this game, and I don't think he will. Um I'd be very surprised if his first appearance of the season was to start in a North London derby. I think he'll keep him in reserve. I'd be slightly torn a little bit between Ceballos and Willock, to be perfectly honest. I I wouldn't lose any sleep over it being Joe Willock. Um, But I I wouldn't lose massive sleep over it being Granite Xhaka, simply because that would be real confirmation that we were embracing and adopting that shape. And I do think that is the future of this team. And yes, it is bad news for Mesut Ozil because that is not a shape that mm. allows you to play with a number 10. If anything, that 10 role is sort of more occupied by the kind of nine and a half, which Firmino does brilliantly for Liverpool. And Lacazette clearly has some of the attributes to do a similar kind of job for Arsenal. So that's what I would really like to see. And I know it's sort of, you know, we haven't seen it really before and we don't know how it would work out. But if that was the team sheet that came out next Sunday... Mm. I think that would, I think that would get a lot of fans pretty excited about watching. Yeah, that. I mean it's a it's a it's a huge game, isn't it? Because after what it happened is. at Anfield, you know, we can all compartmentalize that in a way right now, and I think we could compartmentalize it even further if we take three points on Sunday. If we don't, however, there's some some old wounds are getting a fucking hefty scratch um so it's it's a massive game for emery a massive game for this team and you know when you think about the start of the season um you look at the table you know city have drawn a game and dropped some points united have uh, lost chelsea have lost tottenham have lost we've lost so you know it's not in the race for the uh for the top four and champions league places the kind of weekend you could call in any way definitive not least because of how early it is in the season but, you know, mm. if you can inflict another defeat on Tottenham and if you can take three points and if you can sort of, you know, hang on the coattails of Liverpool, who I don't know who Liverpool are playing next weekend, probably somebody who they'll beat, um, you know, it would it would just make going into that international break um, much more palatable. Absolutely. And I think we've got a really good chance as well. That's the thing I, I really do, especially at home. Uh, of getting a good result in that game and great to see Spurs going into it on the back of uh, what is a a significantly more damaging and embarrassing defeat than the one we suffered. So yeah, yeah, let's unleash that front three. I'd really like to see it. Okay, final, very final question comes from Arsenal's Voice who says, uh, he's at Arsenal's Voice on Twitter. He says, guys, I'm getting married at 3pm on Sunday and Arsenal versus Spurs starts at 4.30. What do I do? Ooh. Well, how long does it take to get married? I don't know. Uh, about, about half an hour. Yeah, half an hour. <laughs> yeah, you just give the priest 50 quid and it's uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to uh, celebrate the marriage between Arsenal's voice and his lovely uh, lady friend here. Uh, do you, I do, I do, do you, I do, I do. Uh, go in peace, you're married now. Snog the bride, off you go. And it's done. I agree. Honestly, this is my advice to people who get married on the day of big football occasions. Like it happens a lot during World Cups and things like that, due to some weddings. 
it's better. It's only 90 minutes of the whole day. I honestly think it's better to just have it on and let people watch it than have people at the wedding like sneaking off or trying to watch on their phones and have their focus disrupted. I reckon if that's your wedding, mate, and you're an Arsenal fan, stick it on in like the drinks bit when everyone's just standing around. Exactly. Everyone's a winner that way. Exactly. Just have it on the big screen. Have it on a big screen. I Everyone can just agree. sit there and watch. They're there. They're there. It's your wedding. They're there to do what the fuck you want. That's what I think. Exactly. If she if she's marrying you, you know, for better for worse, then you know, I'm sure I'm sure she'll understand. I'm, I'm sure it's not his his uh, bride to be. That's the issue. But probably you know, pernickety parents who want things to be done just yeah. so. Yeah. Well, listen. If they love you and they're embracing you as part of their family, they accept that you're an Arsenal fan. It's difficult for people to accept. It's difficult for us to accept at times, but you've got to embrace it. By the way, on the subject of the derby, I must give a shout out to the women's team today. Oh, yes. Absolutely battered Spurs in the derby. Was it 6-0 in the 6-0. But in fairness, no. Actually, what am I talking about in fairness? I think the Spurs women's team is quite new, isn't it? Well, great. Yeah. Let's, Welcome. Let's, let's take advantage of it. Let's enjoy it while we can. Let's absolutely just batter them. That's what we should do. Don't give them any, like, uh, you know, nice welcomes. This is all This is all nice. Welcome to our league. Like, get with the picture or get out. Exactly. Listen, at the end of the day, what I'm seeing is a scoreboard that says Arsenal 6, Tottenham 0. I don't care what Love level it. it is, what gender a player, I'm happy with that. Yep, I'm on board. I'm on board. Okay, well, James, look, um, thank you as ever. Uh, you know, we had our disagreement, but we remain um, relatively um, amicable by the end of this. Oh, okay. yeah. We're still doing the podcast, <laughs> aren't we? I think so. Are we? Good, good. What's happening? Yeah, is this is this Okay, we are. I thought, like, perhaps we've been um, sucked off into an alternate universe where we were being made do things by <laughs> bad people. For their no, evil no. games, good. We had a disagreement, but you said I would beat you in a fight, which was a lovely <laughs> olive branch of you to offer. I think people who only hear our voices will find that absolutely astonishing that you said that. That will blow their mind potentially. But you are—you know—you've got reach. You've got a bigger reach than I might. This is you it. Know. This okay. is it. This uh, is it. Okay. All right. Um, have a fantastic week, and we will talk to you. Oh, you're not doing next week, isn't that right? I'm actually not. I'm on holiday, yeah. You're on holiday. Oh, that reminds me. I've got to find someone to do the Arsecast Extra <laughs> next week before I actually go on holiday. Um, oh, that week, okay. too. Where are you going? Mallorca. Right. I'm going to... Hammer Ruffles. Oh, listen, I'm going to Bilbao and San Sebastian, so I'm looking forward to that. Great food there, apparently, and lots uh, of ham on ruffles. But we will have an Arsecast Extra next Monday. Not sure who it will be with yet, but I guarantee you there will be a podcast. And, of course, we'll look ahead to the North London Derby this weekend with the regular Arsecast on Friday. So uh, until then, folks, have a good one. Take it easy. I guess if you have a guest on and they agree with you about Uno Amory's tactics, this might well be my last Articast Extra appearance. So I'm not a, I'm I, not a small petty man, James. Don't you worry. I, 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 mean, I really mean it this time when I say bye-bye. <laughs> holiday season, treat yourself. Treat yourself to candy. 
Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply.